Welcome to Voices of Experience. Today we're discussing trademarks, copyrights, and licensing. Oh my. Our guests include Bill Cates, who shares million-dollar business strategies, and Russ Riddle, who will break down the legal terms speakers need to know but may not know. We'll also have Ted Ma joining us to share his strategies for maximizing his first year of NSA membership. Let's go. On this segment of Voices of Experience, we are joined by Bill Cates. Now, Bill does over half a million dollars in business and online training and licensing every year. Bill, thank you for joining us on Voices of Experience. You bet, Crystal. Love to be here. Now, I'm extremely excited that you're here to actually talk to us today about online training and licensing. So I know there's a lot of us that are interested in the topic, but don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. So my first question is, we know that you sell online learning and licensing. What kind of topics may work well for these kinds of deals? Essentially, it's important that you have a very specific process where you create a transformation for the person going through the training It's that's measurable. And so they, it's very how to do something. It's not just what to do, why to do it, while well, that's important, but how to do it, step one, step two, step three. And it, it's something that's very transferable, that's something that can be taught in through a video. Now, in my case, a lot of it is facilitator-aided, uh, so someone may go through the training by themselves or they may be part of a larger group where there's a facilitator involved, but we know that by the time they're done, they're going to be able to do something that they weren't able to do before. So that's the main criteria for something that's going to work well online. Now, does it matter if it's evergreen content or not? Does it have to be dated? So for instance, some technology topics, you're not going to be able to sell the same package three years from now. Yeah, there's pros and cons to both. Having evergreen obviously is good is that it lasts a long time. You don't have to update it as often. Uh, something you sell three years ago, you can sell three years and from now, and it, st- and it stays pretty much the same, although technology changes, so you have to stay up with that. Uh, on the other hand, if you have something that is dated, time-specific, what's good about that is because it's changing, and as long as you keep up with it, there's reasons for people to come back. Mm. So it, has, it could have more sticking power, uh, actually, if, it, if it's time-sensitive. I know some people who do reports for industries, you know, that each year they have to do a new report. While that's a lot of work, uh, it creates a lot of value each time. Wow. So who would have thought, because oftentimes we're taught that if content isn't evergreen, it doesn't work well online, but it sounds like in the world of licensing, it can work to your benefit because the client has to keep coming back to stay current. Absolutely. You want you want it to be sticky. You want people to renew. That's a big part of it. And so if you have reasons for them to come back, whether it's adding new information, updating to make it relevant to the, to the market or the topic, absolutely. So we talk about online training and licensing content. What kind of content should we be considering? Is it video? Is it workbooks? What what kind of content? Well, for the most part, voiceover PowerPoint is dead, boring, don't even consider it. Unless perhaps you're doing screen grabs where you're showing people how to navigate through a website or something like that where that makes sense. But it's become so easy and so inexpensive to create decent video that you really should think in terms of video and not just the talking head video, but using graphics, pulling in different graphics, uh, you know, to, to emphasize the point you're trying to make. I use a lot of what's called B-roll video where there's not necessarily any sound to the video, but it creates another look on the screen. So it grabs right. people's attention because you know, think someone's going to be going through this at their desk, probably, maybe even on a mobile mm-hmm. uh, uh, platform, in which case there's a lot of distractions. And if you don't have something interesting going on, visually, they're they're going to wander. Uh, 
Uh, now, what I do on my platform, I offer both video and audio. It's the same file, mm -hmm. just an audio version that they're able to download so they can be reinforced through that. So we offer uh, video, audio, and the transcript of the lesson. Okay. Some people like to print it out. They like to highlight some of the verbs that I provide. And so ultimately, you want to give people the, the material in a way that they most want to consume it. And sometimes it's good to vary the mediums. I love that. So with the transcript, it's almost like they're getting the notes that they can also record on. That's good for the people that need that physical. So That's it right. sounds like it's not about creating different types of items necessarily um, for different products or offerings. It mm -hmm. sounds like you're even if you create one thing, you just need different formats for that for the different types of learners. Yeah. So for my main lessons, it's a video, it's a transcript, and it's an audio. Okay. And then I have a lot of collateral material. So it could be a checklist, it could be tracking forms, it could be mm. practice forms. Uh, I have a, also a lot of audio interviews, kind of podcasts like where people have interviewed me, I've interviewed them. That's all in the supplement mental material okay uh, but the main lessons are video audio and transcript so anyone that's listening right now that they're saying this is an amazing idea I'd love to get into this more what are the first three steps to creating and licensing content Do you have to start with something brand new what Give us three actionable steps. No, you definitely don't need to start with something brand new. You have to start with something that's in demand. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> if your clients are, obviously, if your topic is in demand, if your clients are, uh, you know, asking you to do it maybe more than you can do it or more they can afford it, that's like certainly a candidate for licensing. Mm -hmm. um, I know that when I first got started doing on video on the Internet, uh, I wasn't sure if I could sell online learning or not. Mm -hmm. And so I started very small. I started with about five lessons I sold it very inexpensively just to see could I sell it would people buy it before I really jumped in mm -hmm. so it's always nice to create a proof of concept it's always nice to create a uh, don't do it all and and because it'll take you forever and you may never finish but do something mm -hmm. small a little one little course maybe a few lessons a few modules in the course uh, whether you give it away or you sell it it, you know, you put a toe in the water first, and then if it's work, it's work, and then you can continue on from there. Okay. So that's when you're doing your own online course. Now, when you get to the licensing portion, do you start contacting organizations, or mm -hmm. do they contact you? How, how does the licensing piece come to play? Yeah, so in most cases, they contact me only because I have a reputation in my industry or other people in their organization are using it. So, mm -hmm. for instance, with one company, they wanted to create online training for their people, and they went to their field force, their regional and, and, and reps, and they said, you know, who are you using? What are you doing to get more referral business to acquire more clients? And they said, well, we're using Kate. So everybody said we're using Kate. So then they came to me and said, Bill, you know, 60% of people are already using yours. Let's find a way to bring it to everybody. Now, my large licensing deals, I send the videos and the audios and the transcripts to them. Mm -hmm. They want to put it on their own LMS. Okay. They want to measure, have a certain amount of control. What's an LMS for anyone listening? Yeah, so an LMS is a learning management system. Okay. And it, it'll measure who's going through the course. It often uh, offers quizzing at the end and, and different things of measuring like that. So uh, they want to put it on their own. Okay. For my smaller clients, medium-sized clients, where they don't have that uh, budget or, or desire to create that technology, then they will go to my platform and they will get a username and a password to my platform. So the large licensing deals usually have bubbled up from the smaller deals. Okay. And then I have some licensing deals that are in their 14th, 15th year. Uh, and I, I often joke that it's like printing money legally because... <laughs> 
<laughs> Seriously, it's it's so like I've 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 a deal with one company. It's I think we're we just went into the fifteenth year, mm-hmm. and now I've updated over the years. So there is update that the, the new videos, new technology. However, it's stuff I would be doing anyway for all my clients, and. To renew, all I have to do is change 2018 to 2019, 2019, 2020, whatever, and and that's my cost of sale. Is changing the date on the renewal agreement? That's wow. my cost of sale. So it's <laughs> wow. that's why I call it printing money legally. It's highly profitable. Well, it sounds like it is, and we definitely appreciate you teaching all of us how to print money legally as well. Hmm. Bill, thank you so much for visiting Voices of Experience. You're welcome. Bill was kind enough to share tactics for course creation and licensing. Before you get started though, our next guest will ensure that you have your I's dotted and T's crossed when it comes to protecting that intellectual property. Today on Voices of Experience, we have Russ Riddle who's been practicing IP law for 28 years. Now for those of us that are listening, that are with NSA, we all know Russ, he is the most energetic attorney that you can meet, but super, super brilliant. So we're excited to have him here with us today. Thank you, Russ, for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's get right on into the questions. The first one is, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see speakers make in terms of protecting their IP and even personal assets? Well, with with the IP, what I see often is they don't register things with the copyright office. Uh, Sometimes they don't register their trademarks or they register too many trademarks or Mm. different kinds of things. How do you register too many trademarks? Well, if you think about trademarks, they are for distinction. They're indicators of source of goods or services, and that you want that to become distinct in the marketplace. Okay. You know, we think of the golden arches. We don't have to see the name. We just know that's McDonald's. Right. You want that for your brand. Okay. And if you file this brand, that brand, 35 brands, who is it? You know, you start diluting uh, the distinction. It's not to say you can't have more than one trademark. Mm -hmm. Disney has the mothership Disney, and they've got all their silos of things. Right. But uh, as speakers, we're probably not going to be akin to Disney in terms of the number of trademarks who really need to be uh, focused on them so that Mm -hmm. they do become distinct. And also, it's quite, quite expensive. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, we're only akin to Disney in our minds because we're speakers. Next question. You mentioned copyrights. You mentioned trademarks a little bit. What's the difference between a trademark and copyright? And when is it advantageous to obtain them? You've already talked about trademarking a little bit. So maybe distinguishing between the two and then focusing on when we need copyrights. Okay. They're both intellectual property types. Okay. But people tend to put them in the same breath like they do doctors and lawyers. We're, we're very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and although we're professional service providers, the same thing with the IP, intellectual property. Yeah, we're kind of like each other, but we are distinct. Copyright protects content. Okay. And what I always tell people is think of it, both of those words start with a C, copyright and content. So okay. think of that. And by content, I mean it's it could be words, it's your book, it's your website. It could be photographs, it could be videos, it could be illustrations, art. Okay. That's copyright. Trademark doesn't protect content. Trademark, as I said earlier, is an indicator a source so it will be either a symbol Mm -hmm. logo single word very short phrase something like that that copyright by the way doesn't protect 
thank you for helping us distinguish between those two. I know that you also talk about licensing agreements. So what should speakers consider before they enter into licensing agreements? Because we're constantly hearing, oftentimes within NSA, you have to license your content, and that's a great extra stream of income. What do we need to know before we even go that route? Well, you sure want to have registered with the Copyright Office the content that you're about to license <laughs> to go out there. Now, I understand that copyright springs into being when it's fixed in a tangible medium. So it's not, you don't register with the Copyright Office to create the copyright. It's okay. already in place. But you have to have registered with the Copyright Office if you need to pursue legal remedies under the Copyright Act. Oh. And there's a lot of advantages to having that. And, and copyright registrations are much cheaper than trademarks, by the way. But licensing agreements, so you want to make sure you've got your content in place, you've got your content registered with the Copyright Office. You want to make sure that all of your intellectual property assets are shored up and protected. Okay. And when you're thinking about licensing, there, there's different licensing situations. You mm -hmm. might be licensing content to an internal company's training department. Okay. Or you may be going in and training the trainer mm -hmm. and then allowing them to do that internally only. We also train the trainers that people that just are independent contractors they sell seminars whatever and they need something in their arsenal on whatever topic okay. uh, you license that but to think what you need to think about is okay how long am I going to license them for it okay. what are the things the competencies they need to prove to me before I turn them loose with my brand because if you think about it they are representing your brand so yeah. you want to make sure that he or she is capable of presenting it in a positive helpful way and doesn't harm your brand so you want to be okay you don't want to just license anybody you want them to be prove to you that they're worthy of stewardship of your brand and so you want to think about okay who how long is it going are they going to do it internally only or are they being allowed to sell this content training is it going to be exclusive mm -hmm. or not all those things you want to think those things through okay uh, and all of that all those things I mentioned will affect how you price it and it, because, you know, exclusive is going to be worth more than non-exclusive, a longer commitment. You, you get it. Right. So you just think about all those components okay. before you sit down with your attorney and say, okay, I need a license agreement because he or she's going to ask you those very things I just said. Okay. Give so me those details. So it sounds like you're helping us save time and possibly money with our attorney by at least coming to them with some of the things Sure, we sure. If you're on the, the time clock meter you might as well come in as prepared as possible all right okay so all the other attorneys with nsa are mad at you now Russ. good job so one last question because you're here and you're brilliant and i know that you can answer this question sole proprietorships llc's s corps and more can you share the benefit and drawbacks of each structure for speakers specifically well sole proprietor means it's just you it's not really an entity at all okay uh, the one that well there's actually two reasons two primary reasons that we put an entity in place. One is for legal protection, to put a shield between your business and your personal assets. Okay. That's one consideration. The other, it might be a tax advantage to a particular business model, and that would be for you to ask the CPA on, the, right. on that side. <laughs> Another reason would be that you maybe you're wanting to sell a piece of your business in the future. Okay. Uh, investors and 
people who are acquiring companies, buyers of, of companies or businesses, they like to see either an LLC or a corporation rather than a sole proprietor. So there's some various reasons why would you do it. Okay. But you asked me the differences. Sole proprietor doesn't do any of that for you. Okay. An LLC will give you some protection, but if you're the only owner of that LLC, mm-hmm. it's not going to give you a lot of tax protection. Okay. So, you know, but the reason some people like LLCs over corporations, they're similar. They are. Mm-hmm. But corporations have much more formal annual requirements that you have to do. You know, you have to have an annual shareholder meeting. You have right. to have an annual board of directors meeting. You have to, you know, you, it's much more formal that you keep everything, you cross your I's and cross your T's. However, I ask my LLC clients to do that too. Okay. Uh, because I, you need to be able to show that I'm really treating this LLC as a separate thing from me the person yeah you, you okay. don't commingle your bank accounts right you, you keep separate books all of those you don't things just give yourself a random bonus from your your llc or corporation's bank account because no. you made one this month Russ? no that would be a mistake oh no yeah. but yeah but you could pay yourself if you are a sole owner and you've got an entity in place i mean you could pay yourself a salary or bonuses or those things but you need to do it in the right way right. have you know minutes in place and resolutions again LLCs don't require that as much as corporations, but I think best practice is you do it anyway with the LLC. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Experience, Russ. My pleasure. Now let's hear from one of our fastest rising new members who is already leveraging NSA to the fullest to grow his business. Right now we have a really special guest on Voices of Experience. We have Ted Ma, who is a first year keynote speaker. But even though he's in his first year, he has three employees working for him. They do large volume outbound marketing, on average sending out 800 emails a week with a 23% response rate. Welcome to VOE, Ted. Thank you, great to be here. Yeah, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I'm really excited about you specifically, because I have been stalking you online for a while. Did you feel my eyes on you? Did you feel like my Afro pup following you? Did you feel that? A little bit. A little bit? Okay. So here's why, everybody, why I've been why I've been stalking Ted. I'd never seen anyone who got involved with NSA who leveraged resources so fast. He was at all the conferences, and then you would see him on the Facebook group and asking questions and building relationships and just really taking full advantage of the NSA membership itself. And so I thought you'd be a great person to have on the show as someone who's using it to grow your business. So first question is, when did you join NSA? I joined NSA a little bit less than a year ago. So it's not you're not even a full year yet. You haven't made a year yet. Correct. And you're already, you know, doing all of this amazing outbound marketing strategy. We're off to a pretty good start. Excited about it. Since joining, what NSA resources have you used to grow your business? I've used every resource that I've become aware of. So my first exposure was at a local chapter where I heard about the annual conference and I went to my first influence last year, which was about two months after I joined. It was a big investment mm-hmm. based on conferences I've been on in the past and was really curious to see what I would find and was just overwhelmed with the generosity of spirit, of information and people willing to share best practices and their insights and strategies. And since that time, from social media to other 
other events that speakers have offered in terms of coaching and training, both on the platform as well as behind the scenes, business building skills, and really doing my best to fully immerse myself in as much of the resources that I can take advantage of to grow my business so I don't have to make some of the same mistakes that other people have made in their careers. So what I love about this is the fact that you said you started with a local chapter. First off, which which local chapter is that? Northern California. Northern California. Shout out to Northern California here. What I think what happens is a lot of people, they join and they, they have a desire to do this as a career, but not everyone has your drive. And I also think that sometimes people can be a little intimidated. But as you just said, when you went to Influence, you said people are pretty giving with information and, and willing to help. I was pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. by the quality of people Mm -hmm. and the willingness of people to share what most times people would think well, why would you share that with me if that's something that's helping you and you're my competitor? But as I learned very quickly with the spirit of Cavett in NSA, it's about building a bigger pie. And it was really surprising to me to see not only people willing to engage in conversations, but sit down over lunch or coffee or breakfast or have conversations that were meaningful in the hallways instead of just exchanging pleasantries. So that experience really opened my eyes to what this organization is really about. Now, I love the fact that you had that experience because I've told people for years that the National Speakers Association is the only association that I know of that caters to professional speakers, meaning (coughs) paid speakers, that you will find people that if you're having an issue with a contract or anything else, people will send you their paperwork and not mind the fact that you know you're you're leveraging their resources already so I'm so glad that you had that experience now being that you've met NSA members in person you interact online what would you say is the best way to get to know NSA members the great thing is all you have to do is reach out when you're around an environment where people want to see you win whether you're newer like myself or a seasoned veteran then it just takes asking. And it's as simple as that. Sometimes people make it more difficult than it really is, but reaching out, whether it's through social media and the NSA Facebook group, uh, reaching out to people at conferences before or afterwards, Mm -hmm. sending somebody an email, and obviously respecting their schedule and their time, but also just finding ways that you can connect to the people that can help you to grow in the area that you're looking to benefit. Thank you for tuning in to Voices of Experience. Whether you're listening via your favorite podcast app or an NSA social media account, be sure to subscribe, share, and comment. Check us out next week when we'll discuss how to leverage and manage controversy from the stage. If you haven't had to deal with it yet, you will. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.